It's an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the laws are complicated and constantly changing, the wisest and safest way to keep track of them all is to call elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Having devoted his career to informing and protecting the elderly, Michael communicates about the law in ways that you and your loved ones will surely understand. Join us now to know your legal rights with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening to KAAM Radio, and this is Know Your Legal Rights with Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Doing great. Good. I am the grateful owner of KAAM Radio, which is represented by the theme God Country Texas, and the purpose of this program is to emphasize all three. And when it comes to Texas, we talk a lot about Texas law and estate planning, but we also talk about the country when we can and have to, whether it's princess situations in Minnesota um, uh, or Australia. It's international sometimes when it comes to wills and texts and that kind of thing. And Medicaid seems like that's a national issue and a state issue. And we want to emphasize a lot of things regarding Medicaid today and the new limits for 2020 that you want to discuss and other things that for anyone who's thought about or has Medicaid? Well, first of all, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Well said. The, uh, but why, a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of different things that Medicaid may cover. There's lots of different Medicaid programs. Actually, there's about 40 or 50 in Texas, each with their own rules. And yeah. then there's also a federal program. And I'm just going to be talking about one particular program, and that's long-term care Medicaid. Okay. So if people do not have adequate assets or income to pay for care or do not have long-term care insurance, a lot of people will be surprised about the amount of assets that you can have and have the government be assistance in the payment of care costs. So Mm -hmm. I thought I would talk in particular about when somebody is married. You know, a lot of times we say we work all our life and we want to make sure our spouse doesn't, is not have the black bean by having the unfortunate situation that Medicare doesn't cover long-term care. It has a very limited coverage. It has, if you have a three-day hospitalization stay, you might get 20 days full pay, up to additional 80 days copay. Sometimes if you come home after a hospitalization, they may get limited care coverage at home. But that's about it mm-hmm. because the cost is so great. So that's that's going to be one of the issues, of course, in the campaign that uh, the candidate uh, Elizabeth Warren has been talking about Medicare and having uh, payments of all long-term care. It's, the problem is the reason why we don't do that, or why people haven't done this in the past is the cost. Right, you know, fifty-two trillion was that the yeah, number? it was an un- unbelievable amount, and mm-hmm. and so uh, I'm not trying to be political here because it's uh, that's not what the purpose is. The purpose is to say it's very costly, very, and to pay for that it would be a big, big, big drain on the budget, and only get bigger because as America grays the costs are going to continue to increase. So even if you set up, you know how it is with the government, you set a price, mm-hmm. they say it's going to be X, and quite frankly, it ends up being who knows how many times more than that. Or, or if Social Security is going to be bankrupt in 10 years. Right, you're, right, you're right, right, right. So so 
anyway, I don't want to get into the politics of sure. it. But the idea is that how we do pay for the care cost. And so a lot of times, you know, people work all their life and they say, look, I'd like my spouse to have my assets. Mm-hmm. And so they have enough money to live off for the rest of their life. They may need care, have care costs as well. And so there's a lot of, you know, controversy if you should be what you could do and what you can't do and what you should do and planning. A lot of people say, well, you shouldn't do anything to plan so that the government helps pay for your care costs. But there are different federal laws to prevent spousal impoverishment. So back in the 80s, so this is nothing even new, in the 80s, the government said, look, we don't want to have to have people get divorced just to get eligible for Medicaid for their spouse. So they passed these laws to prevent spousal impoverishment. Now, to understand this, you have to realize Medicaid is means-tested. The government says, we're not going to pay unless you have a limited amount of assets. And you have to go by the rules. But just like tax laws, you just have to know what the rules are. Um, So the rules are that if you're married— you can keep more than if you're single, assuming only one of the spouses is applying for Medicaid. Mm-hmm. When I say Medicaid, let's say a typical situation that somebody goes into a nursing home or some assisted living facilities that accept Medicaid. Most nursing homes accept Medicaid, but only a limited number of assisted living facilities accept Medicaid. And there is care. There is another program at home. Uh, so there's actually more than one Medicaid program at home. I told you there's 40 or 50 Medicaid programs, each with their own rules. Mm-hmm. So there's the long-term care Medicaid, and there's a program at some of the assisted living or some at home called Star Plus. Okay. There's another one that's primary home care or attendant, uh, community attendant services. Uh, you, the names don't – each program has their own rules. And so you just have to know what those rules are to get eligibility. And so one of the things for long-term care Medicaid, and this also works for Star Plus, I might add, is that you could look at the person's income to determine, that is the what they call non-countable resource income, to determine how much countable assets you could have. Now, the first question is, you said I said countable. That means that there's some things that do not count. So if you're married, one home, regardless of value, doesn't count. A pre-need funeral, we talked about a pre-need funeral when we talked about the uh, Tatiana Jefferson story uh, several weeks ago. Uh, A pre-need funeral doesn't count as long as you waive your right to cancel the contract or if it's irrevocably assigned to the funeral home. Burial spaces for your parents and your siblings and children and their spouses also do not count. Uh, One car, regardless of value, doesn't count. Your personal property, your everyday living Items do not count. Uh, sometimes there are several different things that do not count. So those things, and I should mention even IRAs, if you're over 70 and a half and re- have a required minimum distribution, it does not count as a resource. These rules have not been finalized, but they've been announced. And or if you're over 70 and a half and you have a Roth, if you invest it in the form of an annuity, it doesn't count, at least from what they've stated, although it's not in the rules yet. Or if you're under 70 and a half and you have an annuity within your retirement account, it also doesn't count as a resource. So they, they just look at the income, whatever the income is, and then we'll get into that in just a minute. 
So the lower, those things do not count. So they look at the other assets. So if you have another piece of real estate, or if you have a CD or a checking account or a savings account, or, or you have the cash surrender of a life insurance policy, other assets that can be used for the payment of cost of care, they count those things and they take a picture of your assets as the date, the first day of the month in which you are continuously institutionalized. So if you go to the hospital or a nursing home or there for more than 30 days, that's the, the first day of that month is the snapshot picture of what your assets are. They look at that and they say, okay, how much can you have? Uh, let's say you had $200,000. Yeah, $200,000 of checking, savings, money markets, CDs, cash or value of life insurance. How much is the most that you could keep if you're married? If you're married. Well, it depends upon what your income is. So if your income is lower, the lower your income, the more you could keep. Okay. So if you... Uh, normally, the what they call the maximum protected resource amount, the most you could keep other than those excluded assets that we've talked about before, well, this is where the figures are going up. Right now, in that 2019, it's $126,420. It's going up to $128,580 based on the Social Security increase of 1.6% that was announced in October. Uh, so... That says, oh, I can only keep 128,000. Well, first of all, if it depends, if you're, if in our example of $200,000, it depends on what the income, the non-countable resource income, which is typically Social Security or pension, or if you did have that RMD or that required minimum distribution of an IRA, that would be if the IRA didn't count, then the income does. So the lower the income, the more you could keep. So even though I let's say I said that the uh, assets were two hundred thousand dollars, but let's say that the income was twenty six hundred dollars between the couple between Social Security and pension or RMDs. Well, um, because there is another thing called the minimum monthly maintenance needs allowance. I know this sounds complicated. <clears throat> uh, the right, right now that amount that you could keep. Uh, of non-countable resource income that you figure that they use is $3,160.50 a month. But who's counting? <laughs> it's going to go up, by the way, to three. the projections are that it's going to go up to $3,214.50 as of January 1st. Well, if we had, in our example, if we had five or $600 less of income than the allowable limit of the couple, then they're going to let you keep more assets. Because we need more assets to generate enough income to make up that five or six hundred dollars spread. Will two hundred thousand dollars give you five or six hundred dollars a month of income? No, it's insufficient today's interest rates. In fact, you could probably have a million dollars. Not that most people with a million dollars apply for Medicaid, but they could. Maybe I'm sending the wrong message because I'm not trying to encourage people with a million dollars to apply for Medicaid, but. I'm just saying that under the rules, it depends upon what your income is. So if in the example that we use, if you're the couple's income, the non-countable resource, not interest or dividends, that type of income, or rental property income, if that non-countable resource income, the Social Security, the pension, is less than the 3160.50 or 3214.50 as of January 1st, 
the more you could protect because it, it's based on a formula of what one-year CD rates are. Mm-hmm. So today's interest rate, that means I could keep all $200,000 easily if the, the couple's income was only $2,600. Got it. On the other hand, let's say that their income was greater than that. Let's say that the couple's income was $4,000. Well, then you have to get down to one-half of the countable resources. So in our example of 200000 that you'd have to get down to $100,000 before there was eligibility. Not 128000 the one we just mentioned that <clears throat> that's going to go up to 128580 because if your income was too great, it's, all, it's only one-half. Now, on the other hand, if you had $300,000, you'd have to get down to what's one-half of 300000 150. But if your income was too great, you have to get down to 128580 Right. Or, so, or at least that's the projections. It should be announced really soon. Mm-hmm. The, um, so uh, you would ha- you'd have to do different things with those assets to get down to the 128580 before there is eligibility, whether it's private pay or buy something that didn't count or do some transfer planning. So there's all sorts of different things that you could do. Mm-hmm. So, um, so now let's say that somebody only had $40,000. Well, there's a minimum resource allowance too. So, if your income was greater than the thirty-one sixty fifty that we said for two thousand nineteen, well, what's one half of uh, forty is twenty. But the minimum is twenty-five thousand seven sixteen. At least that's what's projected to be in your twenty twenty. So, in other words, we'd have to get rid of almost uh, fourteen thousand three hundred or almost three hundred dollars before there would be eligibility, and they look at the assets on the first day of each month at 12.01 a.m. If the income was too great, of course, again, if the income was $2,900, well, there would be no problem sure. because you have a two or $300 spread, and so you can keep all the assets. So they, they announced these, well, they, uh, they announced the Social Security increase at the beginning of October, the 1.6% increase, and that affects all these other things that we have for the government. Uh, so in this case for Medicaid, it, it affects the amount that you could keep uh, the maximum protected or the minimum protected resource limit if you're you know, above or have a lo- large amount of assets or if you have a smaller. So if you had $500,000, you had to get down to 128580 uh, if your um, if your income was too great, but if your income was small enough, you might be able to keep all five hundred thousand dollars, and the government would help pay for care costs uh, if if the income was too low. So the cost of care, then you might say, well, how much is the cost of care? The average even uh, skilled nursing bed in the uh, Texas and Dallas is more expensive than the statewide average. Is about sixty four to sixty five hundred dollars a going month. Up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always tell the story about my grandmother uh, who went into a facility at age 85. At that time, the only a- the average cost of care was $5,000 a month, let's just say. She lived to just being short of 98. So if you say $5,000 a month at 13 years, it's around $780,000, if my math is correct, um, I haven't, I'm just doing it kind of quickly in my head, but I could be mistaken. But it's going to be somewhere in that neighborhood. So do you happen to have $780,000 in your pocket mm. to pay for care? And so a lot of people say, oh, shoot, people are living longer today. America is graying. How do we 
how are we going to pay for the cost of care? That's why, you know, in the presidential campaign that this is a big issue, Medicare, Medicaid for all. But then it gets to be so expensive. You just, just said that was just one person, my grandmother. How many grandmothers or mothers or fathers or loved ones are out there, and how many more will there be in the future as we continue to live longer? My wife's grandmother, uh, my family, I told you they don't live as long as my wife's family. Mm. Uh, Grandma Gussie, as uh, we always talk about on many of the shows, uh, died prematurely at 107 and a half. So we say that uh, people are living longer, and and actually three members of her, you know, two of her siblings live to be over 103. So we live longer. Remember the old days when Willard Scott, if people who remember who Willard Scott was? The weatherman? Yeah, the mm-hmm. weatherman. Mm-hmm. He used to announce when people reached 100. Well, there yeah, got to right. be too many people. Yeah, that's, I, I never thought about that. Wow. You know, so many people were Pick living. Pick up a whole show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, Litton listened to somebody from Social Security talk once, and he, you know, those days they were ch- kind of checking to see if people, if there was any kind of fraud, if people were really getting their paychecks. And he went to a, a lady's house who was 103. You know, age is a state of mind. And the 103-year-old said uh, to the person from Social Security who visited her to make sure she was getting her, her Social Security, uh, she said, well, who's the oldest person that lives in this area? And the man from Social Security said, well, uh, there's a person, there's a lady over at in so-and-so area, that's 108. The 103-year-old said, 108? Now that's old. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is a state of mind. Yes, but, so. but people are living longer. And so this why it becomes more important to know what these different rules are because we, if, we don't, if we know what these rules are, we could help out, in this case, our loved one, our spouse, mm-hmm. to have enough money so that they could live off their assets that you've worked so hard to uh, accumulate. The government did not want to encourage divorce, so they allow you to keep assets. Now, it, you might say, well, gee, that's crazy to be able to keep $500,000 and the government paid for Medicaid, and that's probably probably right. Um, the laws were passed in the 80s when based on interest rates at that time. Mm-hmm. What are interest rates now compared to what they were in the 1980s? If it was at 6% in your 1988, and, and you had $100,000 that was protected under the rules. And if interest rates were at 1%, that means $600,000 today. So you see, the mm-hmm. law hasn't caught up with the economy. Yeah. And so that's why it's important to know about these federal laws to prevent spousal impoverishment if you have a loved one uh, who needs skilled care or perhaps that needs, you know, Bad enough for care at home, but you want to care at a nursing home, but you want them to stay at home. There is uh, some Medicaid program for that, too. And that's the the whole point of, of this discussion today that Michael is, is explaining to the audience. And that is that he is here to educate the audience and tell everyone what the rules are. He's not there to bilk the government or to conspire with you to rip it off. He's here to tell you what the rules are, what the laws are, and then you to take advantage of the rules only in a positive way so you get your fair share. It's not Michael's problem or fault that these are antiquated rules or interest rates or other. He's just there to explain so you clearly understand the best way that you can understand it is to attend his next workshop which is either thursday december the 5th or saturday 
post-Christmas, December the 28th. And then you get to sit down and ask about Medicaid, Medicare, any government assistance, as well as everything under the umbrella regarding estate planning. Yeah, we call it an estate planning essentials workshop. And of course, as you just said, um, we're just telling people what the rules are. You know, you often you say at the beginning of our show, know your legal rights. Well, that's what this is. Right. You know what your legal rights are. And so here it is, whether it's on tax issues or if it's on public benefits, this is what the, the rules are. And we're just trying to educate you on what rules that are important to you. I don't know what pe- – each workshop is different. We don't know what people are going to ask. Here we've talked about Medicaid, but it could be a lot of times people just ask about estate planning. Maybe it's about veterans' benefits. Earlier this month it was Veterans Day, mm-hmm. uh, and we salute our veterans, of course. So we don't know what people are going to ask about. It could be about a trust. It could be about a will. It could be about powers of attorney. Right. It's whatever is important to you. It could be about inheritance. It could be about protecting your home. It mm-hmm. could be anything that's an issue regarding estate planning. To go to that free estate planning essentials workshop to ask the questions that are important to you, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102 or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. If you go to that 2 our free estate planning essentials workshop. We offer another benefit that's also free, and that is you get a free vision meeting. And it's only available to those people who go to the workshop right. because you get it's an educational process. Mm-hmm. So now you got three free hours on whatever questions are that's important. Two, you, that you'll see other people's issues, and then one hour on your own issues to see you know, more get more specific on some things that may bother you that maybe you didn't want to talk about in front of the public. Maybe you did. Um, it's really a matter of what's important to you. But we ask people out the, throughout the workshop, and there'll be questions going back and forth. That's why we call it a workshop and not a seminar because we, it's you know, we see what people want to know. Right. Um, again, to go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call that two one four seven two zero. 0102 number. Now, I mentioned you get the two free hours of free estate planning, whatever questions you might ask. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the, he sees where I'm, I'm going on facilitating. this. Facilitating. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. We also had the free uh, vision meeting that we just talked about where you get the one on one meeting. But Coffee. I know we know Donuts. the real reason why people are going for it. It's that KWM coffee mug. It's free also. Uh, that's why they chip, go? That's why they go. I, I think that's right. It's, it's not the $1,000 free value of getting to have a free estate planning essentials workshop or a free hour meeting with me to find out what your own issues and how to solve your problems. I think that the real reason why people, they know Christmas is around the corner. They know they have to come up with a gift with that loved one. So they said, hmm coffee mug. It could be a number of reasons why they use that coffee mug. Some people may use it actually for coffee. Uh, some people might use it as kind of a putter, for, put their golf ball into the cup. Really? I, I think yeah. that must be the uh-huh. reason. They, It's enormous reasons that, that right. they might be using the coffee right. mug. Mm-hmm. Maybe the chip clip. It could be that they use the chip clip for their garbage uh, to put on their uh, outside of their home or something. I have no idea. Uh-huh. They, or maybe for laundry. I have no oh idea. Goodness, it could be go forever either, on this. Uh, who you could know, ask for anything you more? See, now, you, you're a learned, reputable attorney. 
and you think people are going to drive hundreds of miles where, where your <laughs> clients are located, probably in Oklahoma, probably in East and West Texas. Well, you're telling not be me Oklahoma. they're going to drive just to get a mug. It's just not true. Uh, well, maybe they go for the free education. Okay. But if they, if they go for that, well, then we appreciate it. Okay. Do that by going to DallasElderLawyer.com. Read about Michael, listen to his podcast, uh, get his newsletter, and sign up for this workshop. Now, Michael, uh, we want to make clear to the audience, we're not trying to say that the government is um, are the antagonists. They're not the enemy. You're here to create the guardrails and explain the rules for everyone so that they can formulate the right equation, the right plan um, for themselves while they're alive when it comes to Medicaid and Medicare. And that's critical, and I appreciate that very much about you, so the audience can be clearly educated currently on what the, um, the circumstances are when it comes to those benefits. Um, you also mentioned, we only have about three minutes left, there's something regarding the IRAs. Yeah, that's going to get a little bit more complicated, but you remember we talked about the uh, expansion of the protected resource amount. When I say expansion, we said 200000 or $500,000. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to have, if we're going to look at the required minimum distributions as income and it, the IRA doesn't count, mm-hmm. and this is something that has not been formalized. It's just been the first case was decided in um, October, and we'll see if it becomes actual, the rules or not. Uh-huh. But if they increase the amount of income, that means that there's going to be less that you can protect as far as the assets. I see. So if the IRA doesn't count and the income does, and what they're going to do is divide the RMD, at least we think, at least on the first case, divide the RMD, the required minimum distribution. Remember when you're over 70 and a half, you have to make required minimum distributions unless you have a Roth where you've already paid the tax in advance. Then they're going to divide that RMD for the year by 12 and they'll count that as income mm-hmm. when they do that calculation on how much assets could be kept. So it could be that you can't expand if you have a large IRA because then your income is too great, and then you have to get down to whatever the resource limit is depending upon what your assets were on the first day of the month. Mm-hmm. So there's a good thing and there's a bad thing uh, about having the IRAs count or not count. I see. So, um, so that's – and, and – the, if you're going to do it divide by 12, then that's going to make it more difficult for expansion. It's also going to make it uh, it's a couple other side effects. Uh, then if your income is too great, we didn't go into income, but Texas has an income cap. If you're the one applying for Medicaid and you had an IRA, mm-hmm. they have an income cap. Uh, right now, it's in 2019, it's 2313. So now if you count that RMD, even if it's divided by 12, that may put you over the cap, so you may have to do a certain type of trust. And also, if you're married, there's a, you have to divert income within a year, or divert income not within a year, but you have to divert income. You could divert income if your income is below a certain limit, the 316050 that we talked about previously, or are projected to be 321450 a month in year 2020. But if there's, uh, if you're, if the well spouse has two, has a let's say an IRA that's given an awful lot of income, then that may uh, mean that there's no diversion of income that they might have otherwise gotten if their other income was less than that thirty-one sixty fifty. Okay. So now this rule does affect several different ideas in the planning, mm-hmm. and then it makes you wonder. Then you start thinking about how the attorney thinks: Should I be converting to a Roth? 
into making anything into an annuity where it doesn't count, so there's no income. And that's so the now, question so, you ask at the next workshop. Well, okay, so we, yes. I don't know the answer to that, but that's so. This is when, when the government makes a rule. Yeah. Then I, I'm afraid that I hate to say it, but attorneys think, well, just like tax laws, you say, okay, well, what can we do to help out our clients? Mm-hmm. And so then you start thinking about these other things. And thank God Michael does that. Attend his next workshop, December the fifth, December twenty eighth. Go to DallasElderLawyer.com. Dallas. Elderlawyer.com to sign up. Michael Cohen, thank you, sir. Thank you. A leading estate planner practicing law in Dallas, Texas for decades now, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the estate planning laws that can affect your family and you. The first step is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com to sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214 214- That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on 770-KAAM for six years, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it is done your way and sign up for his next workshop today 